AVXL episode 180 was recorded on May 5th, 2022. We got so many lasers this week, from Sony and AMC for starters, floor-standing speakers versus bookshelves, to the bigger boxes always drop more bass, some gorgeous acoustic treatment, and quite a bit more. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us, and thank you, really, seriously, thank you, to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. You make the show possible. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I'm so excited to just be recording today. <laughs> it's Cinco de Mayo, man. Damn straight. And yesterday was May 4th. I have to go eat tacos today since I don't drink tequila anymore. I hope everybody had a great May 4th. I was shocked and alarmed at how many Star Wars related shows are buried in Disney Plus. Mostly like behind the scenes and making and and uh, then there's like some series I didn't know about. I'm not even going to get into the whole Obi-Wan thing that's coming up. But uh, if you're a Star Wars nerd, it's a good time to be alive. Judging by the news alone yesterday, I could just guess at what the date was. <laughs> I didn't even have to look at the calendar. Wait, why is Star Wars trending on Twitter? Did I miss a movie announcement? Oh. <laughs> right. So anyway, may the 4th be with you. Um, speaking of theatrical experiences, just to shift gears, AMC. This is big. This is bold. Actually, I had no idea they still had that many traditional film theaters. <laughs> this is crazy and kind of awesome. Yeah. This popped up in the news the other day that AMC, in coordination with a company called Cine... Cineonic? I think is how you say that. Cineonic. Cineonic. I like that. They are going to be upgrading 3,500 auditoriums throughout the United States over the next few years to laser-based projectors. And this project is called Laser at AMC. And this was written up by a few news organizations. And they are expecting to complete this transition by 2026. So while it's uh, individual screens, you could think of when they say the word auditoriums. But that means that it's going to be more than just, say, your Dolby Cinema and select IMAX theaters and other premium experiences that have been using the laser projectors for a while now. Now they're looking, apparently, to just go across the board and get them all upgraded. Oh. I'm curious to see what the quality will be compared to, say, some of the right. the very premium setups they use with something like Dolby Cinema, where they are beautiful RGB laser projectors used in tandem uh, to create just incredible contrast and color. And that's really the big benefit I see when going to a theater that features one of these kind of projectors. It is arguably one of the more impressive visual experiences I've ever had, either in the home or in a theater. Just to be able to say that compared to the way lamp projectors were, the black level you're able to achieve with one of these laser projectors is near perfect, and it really makes the screen pop. In addition to just a wider color palette that many commercial releases can take advantage of with that uh, far exceeding the standard Rec. 709 color or BT. 709 color and using a uh, literally a, a quarter or a 26% wider color palette that is referred to as DCI or 
BT2020, which is what some of these projectors are actually capable of. Uh, effectively, a projector that can recreate any color that we can actually see and put it up on the screen. Combine that with the fact that for a lamp-based projector, Xeon lamp modules are still quite expensive. They can range from anywhere to a few hundred dollars to several thousand dollars, depending on the size and the encasement of that lamp module within the projector. So while they are doing this upgrade, I think this will also help them in the bottom line over the long run in terms of just maintenance of the individual projectors in the auditoriums. Either way, good news. More color, better punch, hopefully uh, combined with even better audio. I, <laughs> I, oh, we can always have there can always be better audio. I was actually it was funny because when I I first read this, I for some reason I thought they still had hundreds or thousands of film projectors, which made no sense to me because uh, I was I was I read this and I'm like, wait, how many film projectors do they still have? I don't think they have any film projectors. True, uh, but it's also crazy. 950 locations worldwide AMC has, 10,500 screens, and then um, Cineonic, I guess, is kind of a, a partner or subdivision or offshoot of Barco. They have something like 30,000 laser projectors installed around the world. It's a lot of laser projectors. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. We also point out that, you know, movies are starting to make money again in theaters. Invest for the future. That's a good thing. Go AMC. Um, speaking of lasers, Sony has upgraded their uh, projector lineup. And before anybody out there listening goes, oh, no, not more projectors. You know, there's not a lot of TV news right now. There's not a lot of new models showing up to get tested. As soon as they show up, uh, as soon as they start getting tested, we will start talking about them. In the meantime, uh, it, it, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, it seems like a couple years of backed up projector releases are flying out uh, from all of the, the various manufacturers. We talked about JVC last week. Uh, this week, Sony's got the VPL X5 7000ES, which uh, is a $28,000 projector. The VPL XW6000ES, 12 grand, and the VPL X5, XW5000ES, which is a uh, less terrifying $6,000. These replace. I guess the three new projectors, they replaced four existing projectors in the lineup that were anywhere from $5,500 to $40,000. Sony's eliminated its last 1080p projector. They've eliminated, these are all laser-based. They've eliminated all uh, lamp-based projectors from the lineup. Um, What's kind of crazy is uh, they still have two projectors from i guess last year or the year before the vpl vw 5000 es which uh is an eye-popping sixty thousand dollars at least until you read about sony's flagship vpl gtz 380 which is an eye-popping eighty thousand dollars um these are all native 4k lasers um so and they literally it's kind of crazy right they have uh, a couple models that nest in between epson's ls 12,000 or 11,000. Uh, and then uh, JVC's $11,000 DLA NZ7, uh, none of which I will be purchasing anytime in the immediate future unless I suddenly decide to sell my truck and bicycle everywhere with loads of concrete. Interesting thing about this, all these new Sony projectors is they're all now using the X1, quote, ultimate for projector, uh, the processor from that $80,000 GTC 380. Nice. Yeah. I'm thinking given how many times we've seen Sony take an OLED screen and do amazing things with it because of the processing, the in-house skill they have at creating processors, 
this is a good thing. They also bumped everything up. Like the X5000 is 2,000 ANSI lumens. Um, you know, they, they've gone from like at various price points from 1,500 to 2,000 lumens, 1,800 to 2,500 lumens, 2,000 to 3,200 lumens. This is good. Brighter across the board. Yeah, better HDR, better performance in rooms that aren't uh, traditional dark room theater projectors. So good point. Yeah, they are describing these projectors as using a blue laser plus phosphor materials to generate the RGB light that is then processed through that three chip LCOS panel system and the liquid crystal on silicon. So you have a true three chip system with laser light engine, but they're only achieving about 95% of DCI-P3, and you compare that to some of the true RGB, at least the short throw designs we've seen, that are exceeding 100% of BT-2020, which is an incredible color palette. So I'm a little disappointed that they're sticking with this blue light plus phosphor light engine. I was kind of hoping some of these would be at least an RGB laser or maybe their most premium model, but that still is not the case with the Sony projector yet. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Also, perhaps in a cost-saving measure, they've also slightly reduced the LCOS panels used in these projectors from the hmm. the DCI 4K resolution, which is 4096 by 2160, down to the traditional home theater 4K resolution of 3840 by 2160. I don't see that as a, such a big deal since most of the content you're going to be feeding these in a home environment is going to be the 3840 by 2160 that right. we all know and love. So uh, maybe it saves them a couple of bucks. It's definitely a smaller chip, so it makes for a smaller package. And these projectors won't be nearly as large or <laughs> as girthy as some of the bigger projectors can girthy. be. But It'll either be, way. I mean, I'll be curious to, to see what the tests look like on these, you know, because uh, right now it seems like Epson pretty much has the market below $6,000 or below $5,000, I should say. And above $5,000, there's a lot going on with, with Sony and JVC and, and uh, in terms of traditional uh, traditional projectors. It's all good. It is. In a light-controlled environment, I have found that Sony projectors, even from their least expensive models on up, tune up very well. They produce very accurate imagery, very beautiful tones and color. So I am as curious as anyone to see this new laser-based system and how they are utilizing that to produce something that's at least as equivalent. I'm curious to see if yeah. any of the contrast performance changes within these projectors compared to the models they're replacing as well. That's been one of the challenges of laser-based projectors in terms of not being able to achieve the darkest black levels compared to some of the uh, previous lamp-based systems. But Sony does great projectors, so I am expecting some good performance. Keep an eye out on ProjectorCentral.com because the crew over there is probably going to be the first ones to review these. And uh, they do nice work. They are worthy of your time. That reminds me of one other announcement. Uh, Optoma has dropped the UHD 55 gaming projector or gaming and home entertainment projector. Uh, $1,800 in the U.S. 0.47 inch DLP chipset. 3840 by 2160 on screen. Um basically doing pixel shifting, uh, rated for 3,600 ANSI lumens. And the lamp in standard mode is supposed to last 10,000 hours, which is an awfully long time for a projector lamp, 4,000 hours in bright mode. So very curious to see how that tests in the real world. 
because that's not a bad price for a very potentially very very bright projector i also should say i'm probably very curious what the lamp cost on that is going to be that is one projector at least that series and this being the latest one that i've seen right out of the box look pretty damn good in terms of if you pair this with a neutral screen it's gonna look pretty damn sweet <laughs> good to go as far as the color and detail uh with very little fine tuning needed to get a terrific picture out of it so this being just a a nice light cannon at 3600 ANSI lumens is well that's probably in the bright mode I'm thinking <laughs> the brightest yes. mode which that does decrease your <laughs> yeah it does decrease your lamp life but yeah you're also dealing with a pretty affordable projector as well but it's also something that should do a, a pretty solid job in uh, relatively bright rooms we'll see we, we need to reach out to Optoma and uh, see who's handling PR for them again 240 hertz support 240 hertz smooth motion that's 1080p 240 hertz pc gaming it seems like the only complaints initially at least from the spec sheet is that it's lacking hdmi 2.1 which means that you're still mm -hmm. yeah you're not getting 4k 120 but you are able to bump up the effective frame rate with a resolution like 1080p on this projector well there are worse things i'll yeah. just say that <laughs> um the crew over at Blue Sound just announced something very, very interesting called the Hub. Now, if you don't remember Blue Sound, they do uh, basically networked home audio. They're they're kind of a competitor to Sonos, if you will. I don't know if the Blue Sound people would like me to say that, but essentially they're in the same category. Blue Sound is a Canadian company, I believe. Uh, they are part of Lembrook Industries. Lembrook owns NAD, Electronics, PSB Speakers, Blue OS, Blue Sound. They're one of those companies that owns a whole lot of audio companies. The Hub's really interesting, right? Because... It is a box with inputs for HDMI, eARC, coaxial, digital optical, stereo, analog, and a moving magnet phono input. So literally anything you have that plays music or audio, you should be able to plug into the hub. And what the hub will do is allow you to stream that input all around your house. So if you're more familiar with Sonos, think of uh, the Sonos port or amp analog inputs but you have more of them and uh, you don't have uh, you know, the amp or, or the output to uh, your receiver. Uh, and hopefully uh, you'll have higher analog to digital conversion performance because the Sonos amp in particular, it's not bad. It's certainly acceptable for uh, uh, the dynamic range of a record, for example, but the, the, the input performance, the analog input performance, uh, is not nearly as impressive as the amplification performance of a Sonos amp. Not that I particularly use the input on that, but, you know, it's always nicer to see higher performance uh, when you are inputting audio into your system. Um, seriously, though, I love the idea of bringing anything into the Blue Sound system and streaming it around the house. That's going to be uh, $319, hopefully shipping in June, and... Whether or not it ships, I, you know, I don't know, maybe they got containers up in Canada already, but I get this point, we have to put a caveat on any ship, any expected ship date for anything, right. given the excitements of shipping and supply chains and everything else. But uh, props to Blue Sound for putting together an interesting box to bring all of your classic gear into the home network streaming. That's you pretty cool. You can DJ the whole house off your record player in the living room. It's nice. Totally different direction. Roku's got Apple Music finally. They already had Apple TV Plus, AirPlay 2, Apple HomeKit compatibility. Uh, Roku now supports Apple Music. Basically, there's an Apple Music app on Roku. 
channelstore.roku.com as always. It's still 10 bucks a month like you would pay everywhere else. Uh, and for people who haven't been paying attention to Apple Music, it's 90 million songs, or they claim it's 90 million songs for 10 bucks a month. Um, Roku says there's no Apple lossless or spatial audio at this time, which suggests that there may be in the future. But uh, for right now, if you are insisting on the lossless, you will not be getting lossless audio or spatial audio on the Roku app or the Apple Music Roku app. By the way, uh, Roku OS 11 came out in March, and we will uh, dig into that after I've updated my Roku <laughs> and seen if I noticed anything. <laughs> they announced OS 11 back in March. It has not released yet. I thought I had released. No, yeah. in the coming weeks. Well, that was the articles from March, and then they said it will be rolling out in the coming weeks. And right. while you say that, I will just turn on my Roku real quick, because I did check this the other day. <laughs> and I am awfully well, curious, but I'll, I'll, I'll do that in the background. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious about this one because one of the things they're talking about is something they call automatic speech clarity, which is supposed to quote dynamically identify and amplify a dialogue so you don't miss a word. That's on their audio products. Live TV is going on the home screen menu from the live TV zone. I personally am still stuck at 10.5, but that's okay. Hmm. I'm uh, expecting the update to roll out, and I believe they do it in kind of a literally a rolled out launch of this software as well it's not like every device right. gets the update at the exact same time this is true that would be bad on their servers probably so. it's exactly probably <laughs> why they do it that way yeah. either way well looking forward to these updates though because yeah. that's my primary streaming box os 11 takes the the live tv zone that came out i think back in january and you'll see your recently watched live tv content and then it's supposed to basically pump up local and national news and sports and movies in the live TV section, now located on the home screen menu, along with the what to watch, uh, which is a new destination they dropped into the home screen menu. So they're going to look at what you watch and try to figure out what you want to watch so you can watch more of what you want to watch from the places you watch it on. Everyone's doing it. <laughs> it's a lifestyle choice. So I uh, I caught this, uh, I browse a... Cedia does a magazine and a website called CE Pro, and uh, they had a really interesting article from a, a music and entertainment research group called Music Watch, and they said vinyl album sale grew, brace for impact, 27% with 18 million consumers aged 13 and over buying vinyl in 2021. They did a big survey, something like 1,400 consumers, quote, in nearly every lifestyle segment, including both the general population and vinyl enthusiasts, which is to say they didn't just call up uh, record nerds. 71% uh, produced new records, excuse me, purchased new records. That would be kind of awesome. We called up 1,400 random people and 71% of them had, had produced a record. No, purchased new records and 67% bought new ones. 95% of vinyl buyers expect to continue purchasing the format in the coming year. I'm quoting from the article, by the way, so don't sue me. More than one in three buyers, like 38%, uh, have been purchasing vinyl for more than 10 years. Half of the vinyl record buyers were under the age of 25. And a shockingly nearly even 44 to 56% uh, female to male split on the consumers, which is, to me, means like, oh, wow, vinyl is a place where it's not just a bunch of guys. So you go, ladies. 
It was crazy. So they said it grew like 27%. However, there was a caveat in the article that suggested it grew 27% this year after 20 or in 2021 after 2020 made it almost impossible to buy vinyl. Uh, I sent out a tweet. I don't know if they'll catch it, but we'll see if they follow up on any of that. But it was a fascinating survey. People are definitely digging and loving and continue to buy the vinyl. So props to all of you out there that are getting the full analog experience. Which reminds me, I actually bought an analog record at a live performance a couple weeks ago because that was the only way I could get the digital tracks I wanted. <laughs> well, you got to do what you got to do. I have wall art. That is one format I have no desire to go back and revisit. <laughs> I understand. Done. I'm done with albums and vinyl. I own a decent turntable. I, I own a good turntable and a very nice uh, uh, phono preamp simply so I can take albums that are not available in digital format and will never be available in digital format and digitize them. Although who knows, maybe one of my children will see the album and become fascinated. We'll see. Totally. Really fun review up on audio science review. They are the ultimate to a certain point objectivist testing websites. And, uh, so they grabbed a your basic like two pack on eBay for you know two pack on eBay for four bucks uh, RCA cable and uh, your basic cheap vintage retail RCA cable the kind of thing you would find hanging at your local um, drugstore uh, or right. you know Walmart or whatever. Amir, who's the principal behind Audio Science Review, he does all of his audio testing, not a speaker testing, on an audio precision APX five fifty five analyzer. This is the ultimate industry standard tool for measuring audio performance. When you hear me talk about numbers like Synad, they usually came from somebody with a with an APX 555 or something similar. Quote, only a second harmonic is visible at an astonishing low negative 148 dB, a good 30 decibels below the threshold of hearing when you do an internal loopback on the APX 555. Basically, it, it is totally silent. Uh, by uh, human standards, if not machine standards. So then he grabbed the inexpensive, cheap RCA cable, and he ran the same loopback test and, quote, not a thing has changed, same noise floor, same distortion profile, same output voltage. And uh, it is amusing to read that for me in part because I picked up a couple of RCA cables while I was testing those Kali Audio speakers to see if I could minimize the RF noise that was coming in through the cables. But the cable itself... Is fairly flawless. I think he's working on a way to test uh, shielding against RF on the cables. Or maybe it's not necessary, but I will keep an eye on this and let you know what I see in the future. But the short answer is that expensive RCA cables aren't really going to make things sound better. They may be vastly better manufactured. They may not fall apart over time as you plug them and unplug them. They may be out of better materials. But generally speaking, if there's not a lot of advantage to a spendy RCA cable. That is a good reminder. <laughs> don't get me wrong. If you want to buy one, there are some very pretty cables out there. Um, I don't generally get excited by uh, acoustical treatments for rooms, and mostly because they're usually sort of a poster-sized thing. You know, they're filled with uh, mineral wool or very specific dense types of fiberglass or other materials. And they're essentially designed to do things like, you know, stop slapback echo in a room, absorb audio, keep a room from being too echoey. And uh, it's usually really utilitarian stuff. Like the really fancy ones, you can get images or poster-like images printed onto the covers. And then I just saw 
I got a press release for a company called Turf Designs up in Chicago. And this is for a acoustic wall treatment they call Tremella. Now, Turf has this great tagline. Turf exists to fight the tyrannical disturbance of the open space echo. And when they say that, if you've ever been in a glass conference room and you could barely understand the conversation because the voices was bouncing all around the room and it was all echo, or if you're in a restaurant and you can't really hear you, you're talking to your, your spouse or your friend and your voice is loud because the room is so loud because it's basically um, sheetrock, you know, like a giant sheetrock ceiling and sheetrock walls. There was a, a restaurant. I walked in there with a DB once and it was a it was almost 92 db in the restaurant with everybody talking because there was no sound absorption and all of the audio came from all of the diners and basically reflected back in this horrendous echoing nightmare so it sounds like a nightmare <laughs> it, it really is a nightmare. Does. um it, it's it's That's bad. way too uh, loud yeah it's it, it is unpleasant right so this crew at Turf Design, they have some really gorgeous uh, ceiling and wall products. And if you look at this one that just came out, the Tremella, it looks like flowers or lily pads kind of bursting from the wall, but in a nice way, not in an alien's way. Other thing that's interesting, a lot of their products are, uh, they look like a bunch of poppies. In this case, gray poppies pinned. It's just, it's nice. It's it, There's an aesthetic there. And they have a lot of really gorgeous, very modern styled uh, products that are both, like I said, wall and ceiling treatments. A lot of their products, that at least the ones I was looking at, are uh, uh, polyester felt, I guess, from soda bottles, their pet 60% pre-consumer recycled plastic. In some cases, like they will replace or snap underneath drop ceiling T-grids or they're directly mounted to the wall or ceiling. Um, but if you are if you have an aesthetic, if you are sophisticated and you're looking for something that doesn't make you want to vomit when you're thinking about acoustical treatments and style, check out turf, T-U-R-F dot design and take a look at the products they have out there. So it's nice to have options. That's what I'm going to say. Very cool. Most acoustical treatments are not aesthetic. No, they can be a bit yeah. either very geometrical looking or sure. they can really stand out and just kind of take over a, a wall space. And this at least <laughs> gives you an option for something that truly yeah. is a little different and accomplishing effectively the same thing in terms of being able to control that audio within the within a room without some kind of treatment is going to give you yeah. problems or just difficult tuning scenario so to speak. It's, yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, a combination of absorption, diffusion, and, and we've talked about this a lot, right? Simply putting a, you know, wool or cotton or core rug on the floor so that that first, you know, that first bounce between the speaker and your ears gets absorbed instead of getting reflected into the room. Having diffusion in the forms of art or bookshelves or absorption in the form of curtains can make a difference. Um, you know, furniture in the room, couches and stuff like that all can contribute to uh, absorbing or diffusing audio in ways that make the environment much more pleasant and much less uh, harmful to the acoustical experience. So take a moment to thank some of our longest running patrons on patreon.com slash avxl as always we want to thank you thank you thank you all of you each and every one of you for your monthly contributions because you make it possible for us to do the show we got a hangout coming up this month we got some patron only treats coming out at patreon.com slash avxl and we want to give a shout out to basam jojo the cactus michael evan Sirpi, and igor for being amongst our longest running supporters thank you so much for your long time commitment to the show we appreciate it we really do
Man, more than five years for the folks we just named. That's yeah. pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> I, Thank you. Yeah. They like us. Yay. Um, <laughs> before I burst into tears, uh, we got a, uh, another question about bookshelves versus floor standards. Um, Henry, a.k.a. at Kaido1986, tweeted, After hearing the talk about tower versus bookshelf speakers, do you think I'd hear much difference if I replaced my ELAC F5 floor standards with the bookshelf equivalent, keeping all else the same? He says, I'm, I'm using the cheap monoprice 12-inch sub. Uh, short answer is not really. I have this weird feeling uh, things might change more or you might have more impact on the sound from the height of the tweeter if you don't put the bookshelf speakers on stands to get them up around your ear height versus the floor standards than you would actually from anything on the base side of things because those speakers are, are kind of interesting, right? So unpacking this a little bit, a little bit of a longer answer, you're going to lose some volume at the low end for the the b5 or the b6 versus the f5 assuming you can even buy these because these are the original elac debuts and they're no longer manufactured uh elac audio uh says the frequency response on the f5 is 42 to 20,000 hertz for the b6 you're looking at 44 to 20,000 hertz and the b5 46 to 20,000 hertz it's all the same tweeter and essentially what you have is the f5 has three woofers or midwoofers. The B6 has one six inch midwoofer and the B5 has uh, a single uh, five inch uh, midwoofer or woofer. They don't give you plus or minus DB specs and they don't give you frequency response curves. But when I asked Mr. Jones, uh, he said the floor standards don't really go lower. They just hit harder down low. And I'll be honest with you, a good sub makes anything below 80 or 100 or 120 hertz, whatever you set that crossover, a good sub makes that the speaker performance on those frequencies pretty moot. So this is a fairly easy comparison, right? Because you're staying within the lineup. Uh, and generally speaking, speaker engineers or designers try to make these speakers in a given lineup sound similar. And Jones didn't add like 8-inch or 10-inch woofers to make the tower speakers or the floor standing speakers play down lower than the... Um, bookshelf speakers if you switch between the original debut lineup and the debut 2.0 things change a little bit mostly because they sound a little bit different the debut 2.0 has a little more emphasis on treble by comparison to the original debut lineup i didn't find it annoying i don't think it's massive uh but it's there uh you can definitely measure it there's kind of a you know they're, they're a little lower in the output between like a thousand and 2500 hertz uh, and they kick up a little higher at the high end so that makes them seem a little more treble balanced but overall they have a, a decent room curve if you want to switch between speaker brands things get more exciting right because ideally you're going to find legit frequency response numbers that include plus or minus db if they don't include that extra plus or minus db at, you know 40 to 40,000 hertz plus or minus 3 db you know 100 to 19,000 hertz plus or minus 1 dB, uh, you know, 50 to 20,000 hertz plus or minus 5 dB, something like that. If they don't include that plus or minus number, you can assume almost instantaneously that the bass below 50 hertz is way below 5 or 10 decibels lower than the rest of the audio spectrum. Right. Um, 
almost invariably. And sometimes you'll find they drop off uh, above 10,000 hertz. I don't get too worried about that because, hey, uh, most of the people listening to this podcast probably can't hear much above 14,000 or 15,000 hertz. And, hey, there's not exactly a whole lot of music up at that far end of the frequency range. It's nice to have it. I would like it to be reproduced. I would like it to be, you know, I would like a flat frequency response curve from my speakers from zero to forever. But, you know, physics and money kind of get in the way. So I've seen floor standards that, you know, where the where the bookshelf speaker goes down to, say, 50 hertz. Um, the floor standards might go down to 30 hertz. Or the bookshelf speaker goes down to, you know, 60 hertz and the floor standard goes down to 40 hertz. So, you know, check the specs, see if you can find some actual specs or some real uh, trustworthy frequency response measurements. Seriously, though, if you cut the speakers off at 180 hertz and send the low end to a good sub, you're not really going to care. Below a certain frequency, uh, you it's just about impossible to locate the source of that sound and you're gonna you're gonna get the low end performance that you want and you can do it with a, a speaker of, of any of a number of different shapes or sizes. So by the way, uh, while we're talking about ELAC, if you're looking for a good deal, uh, they have some smoking B stock deals at elac-america.myshopify.com. Um, I think you can pick up a set of their uh, debut 2.0 uh, 6.2s for like. 250 bucks which is a pretty good deal so very nice yeah this is a good one for rob for rob <laughs> sorry i'm laughing because i wrote down i like big screens and i cannot lie yes people listening at home do with that what they wish um ron posted a follow-up on the giant screens discussion we had uh he posted it up on patreon.com slash avxl thank you ron for being a patron he says, uh, thanks for the response. When I build my home theater room, I am torn between a flat screen with HDR and Dolby Vision or a 120-inch projector. Sony's 85-inch mini LED for five grand or 5,500, and their laser projector for 6,000 is not helping. Or 6,000 plus the screen for that uh, laser projector is not helping. Here's the thing, right? We're starting to see high-end projectors begin to deliver yield HDR 10+. We have no idea when Dolby Vision is going to show up in projectors, if ever. Uh, I, I assume eventually it will show up. I'm not going to hold my breath while I'm waiting. Right. And I got to say, there are some really sweet HDR projectors that can easily light up a 120-inch screen right now that deliver some pretty amazing visual performance. That said, if you must have the Dolby Vision experience, you are going with a screen of some type. Um you know, and by the way, if your room isn't too damn bright, you're great with a projector. Uh, if your room is, you know, if you have that classic Miami corner room with all the glass windows, or if you have a, a ton of windows that face this, you know, the sun's eclipse, ecliptic, eclipse, ecliptic, not eclipse. Um, you know, if your room gets lit up during the day and you want to be able to see the footballs when the sun is out uh, or watch movies or television or soap operas or whatever you want to watch when the sun is out, you are going to need some type of uh, curtains or something to dim the sun's rays for the vast majority of projectors out there. So, I mean, Rob, what's your line in the sand when you're looking at something like a, you know, a, a well, when you're basically trying to decide on the 85 something inch television versus a projector, is it light? Is it HDR? I mean, if the room you're dealing with is light controlled, 
then projection is going to be awesome. That's just the simple statement right there. Modern projectors, at least in that price category, we've seen quite a few of them now incorporating things like dynamic or machine trained tone mapping, where it will take content like HDR, uh, HDR10, and actually create something that looks quite compelling, almost a Dolby Vision-like presentation where it is per frame or per scene adjusting the light output of the projector, its ability to produce the black levels, and regardless of what kind of content you're watching, there's very little fuss. You just simply run it through that projector and the projector knows its own, upon setup, it knows its own performance and can then optimize that video presentation for a given room and that given screen setup. However, if it is any kind of light challenge whatsoever and for like a daily driver, that's where I think an LCD screen is gonna be your best bet. It just can simply deliver more light and it can do it in a in a more contrasted way that you just simply have a very difficult time achieving with a projection system. It's more about the room f- with me than anything else. All the best theater rooms I've walked into in people's homes are, are all sealed rooms. I mean, there are no windows, uh, ideally, or, you know, it, very well treated, so to speak. And that also kind of comes back to what is the design of the room as well in terms of its color, If you're trying to install a home theater projector in a relatively white or very light colored room, you're going to get a lot more light reflection that's going to be more difficult to deal with. And it'll take away from the performance of the projector itself. And then again, uh, that's where something like an LCD screen would look great in comparison. But uh, a little bit of light, not so bad. But yeah, if you're doing projection... It's really kind of nice just to have that room totally light controlled and not have to worry about that whatsoever. And you will get fantastic (laughs) quality, be it from your BT709, your standard broadcast style or your Blu-ray video, in addition to HDR sources that you may be streaming or running through a disc player or something like that. Worth considering. Totally. It seems like room would be your number one consideration or the, 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 the viewing environment. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And you also have the option generally of bumping up color a lot easier, the color saturation on an image, if you are dealing with a brighter room with an LCD Mm -hmm. compared to something uh, like a projector where you have the screen being influenced as well by whatever room light is in the setting. Yeah, I think you just have better options with light (laughs) being in the room when you are dealing with an LCD than you would be with a projector. But again, if you're going for 120 inch plus screen size, keep that in mind. It's like, that's going to be where projectors are going to be your best bang for the buck. And that's where the room then is going to become even a greater, not a concern, but something you should really pay attention to in terms of how it's set up and designed and what your expectations are for what that picture should look like in a light controlled environment. Any, any decent projector is going to look fantastic. Even that affordable Optoma we just talked about at 1700 bucks, that thing would look great too at 110 or even 120 probably. This is a good thing. But if I'm dealing with a window in the room occasionally, or, you know, it is a mixed usage room, that's where you're just going to be, I think, less hassled by going with something like, granted, a pretty pricey large format LCD. There you have it. What's uh, you were uh, you were reading up on micro lenses? 
Yeah, uh, it turns out that one of the ways of improving OLED efficiency is through the use of what they term microlensing or being able to create a, a layer within the OLED that is featuring uh, a very uniform layout of these tiny lenses. And looking through some of the documents online, uh, one of the stories that popped up recently was how LG was at least investigating this kind of technology for their large mm -hmm. format displays, their TVs in particular, as a way to take the brightness up another 20% using similar, Ooh. otherwise similar technology to what they're doing right now with that OLED EX panel technology and their deuterium enhanced panels. The beauty of the micro lens technology and combining it with something like refraction grids that can also be integrated into the same display is that they can literally, at least with current tests in, in a lab environment, they are taking a display that could be 50 to 60% brighter without changing anything else other than adding this lensing technology and the refraction grid technology as well. Apparently, some of the latest generation of Samsung Galaxy phones already use microlensing systems to help make that smaller OLED display punch even harder, and that's even more important in a brightly lit environment. And I am just curious to see if this will pan out for something like an OLED display. Is anyone already using it per chance? Uh, I'm curious to see if Samsung actually incorporated any kind of microlensing technologies within their new S95B QD OLED panel. Either way, it's just kind of a nice look at how they're going about trying to make a more efficient light source. The mm -hmm. article I read on the energy.gov website regarding this research right now says that they believe, at least the, the scientists in the labs believe they can pump 80% greater efficiency with current technologies if they can just perfect a few things. They got past that 50% level of increasing the brightness and they said this last half of it is really where the challenges become more pronounced. Effectively, you can think of it this way. When the OLED materials physically glow and that light is emitted, the layer it goes up into next, if the photons themselves are at too mm -hmm. shallow of an angle, they end up literally reflecting within the material itself and not exiting the material and coming toward your eyes. And adding layers like micro lenses or this index of refraction grid technology are a couple of the ways that they can take that light that's trapped in that layer and direct it straight forward and prevent some of that, that wasted energy from just being trapped within the panel itself. It's a way of improving brightness without really changing the chemical compositions or the energy usage or any other thing other than just making the path of the photon a little easier to navigate in terms of coming perpendicular right out of that screen. I'm also curious to see how okay. LG is investigating this in terms of how would it affect something, say, like off-axis viewing or any right. other potential artifacts that could occur. But I'll be happy to include a link to this article, actually. It included a short video that goes over some of the challenges that they're working through. But this technology is already in display devices we're using today, and they have ideas for improving it into the future, at least in the smaller mobile display side of things. And we'll see if that can be translated up into the larger, you know, 40 plus inch displays we use in our homes generally. We wait with bated breath. Yeah. <laughs> Efficiency. Um, we had a lot of fun, uh, the family and I, the boys and I, watching Around the World in 80 Days 
which showed up on our local PBS affiliates. And uh, if you've never actually dealt with it, there is a PBS app that you can download on pretty much every platform uh, or go to PBS.org and learn how to stream it. But, uh, you know, anything with David Tennant is always good. And uh, Ibrahim Koma and Leonie Benesh did uh, some fantastic jobs bringing this, or some fantastic acting bringing this story to life. And has also led to uh, my youngest is now joining me in listening to all of the original Jules Verne novels, at least one of which is narrated by David Tennant, uh, the actor, which is pretty fun. Cool. I don't normally get really stoked about vintage gear write-ups because so much of it is usually people talking about stuff that's ridiculously priced now which has a mediocre performance but is part of a tradition um and you know i'll be honest with you i love driving vintage british sports cars but you know a miata can pretty much stomp them on the track and you'll spend vastly less time turning wrenches do with that statement once you will uh but i gotta give props to jeremy sakura over at Acoustics. Um, I don't agree with all of his picks, but I've happily owned at least uh, one set of the speakers in his article. He did a quick write-up of his favorite affordable vintage loudspeakers. Uh, one of the brands he talks about, which is Ohm, which is a company out of Brooklyn. They still make speakers. More importantly to me, they still manufacture uh, a lot of parts to keep their older designs alive, which are high quality. Very um, cool. By the way, there are some fantastic older Paradigm speakers that still sound great. BMW and KEF. Uh, some Infinity models are still world-class. When you look at their measurements, they're like plus or minus a couple of dB across most of the acoustic spectrum. Um, you know, it varies. It varies with ear. It varies with models. But there are some fantastic speakers out there. Older headphones tend to suck. Older subwoofers tend to suck. But there are some very quality. There's some high-quality speakers out there. And... Uh, yeah, props to Mr. Sakura for a nice article over at Acoustics. Hell yes. <laughs> One other item of note for this weekend will be the inaugural race in Miami for Formula One. And I'm really curious to see how this goes down. Apparently, everyone seems pleased with the track layout. And it's just, for me, that's exciting. It's seeing something brand new. In this is the inaugural sport. one, right? As far as I know, I don't believe they've ever raced in Miami before. Miami, Florida, and I, I'll have to go back and check real quick, but this is the first time in at least as long as I've been watching it that they've come to do a street race in Miami. And considering they're doing Formula One in Las Vegas next year, well, this could be a trend of sneaking in some new tracks here and there to help make it all the more of a spectacle. The one funny thing I saw, at least at the Miami track they had set up, is that they had created some fake lakes and put like a digitally printed water texture over these and I, I literally saw somebody like jump off of it thinking it was real and just landed on their ass right on this piece of fake printed water <laughs> that was basically a cover for for the quote-unquote lake anyway it should be interesting it puts the formula one race in a time zone at least that's a little more applicable to me to watch it live rather than recorded right and risk the pain of scrolling through the news and seeing who won before i actually saw the race but either way i'm excited about that that's my little fun for the weekend i'm looking forward to there you have it if you got a question for us, if you want to tell us about something, if you got a product you want us to review, do us a favor, tweet at, actually, you should email us, ask at avxl.com, or you can tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton or at avxl. 
And uh, I think next week, are you going to have an ATS 3.0 encryption update? ATSC 3.0, baby. Apparently, they have added some DRM to the lineup, and that caused some manufacturers of current uh, tuners, at least, who have already put out ATSC 3.0 hardware to go back and fine-tune a few things and make some updates. We'll get into that and why you would want digital rights management on a digital broadcast, and I'll have a bit of info about that and what it may mean to you in the future of over-the-air reception. There you have it, people. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.